Every life has a story, and every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story. They are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. He was found and saved by Christ in his late teens from a life marked by surfing, drugs and playing in rock bands. He's now married with three adult sons. He's a worship leader, a pastor, a speaker, an author, a church planter and an evangelist. He's written and recorded around 50 songs, several of them with Hillsong Church, including Awesome in This Place, Shout of the King, Wonderful God. He has a passion to help ignite hearts with the Father's love and to release the prophetic. He said that in His presence, we are transformed into His likeness and the unsaved encounter the Father's love coming to Him. Beautiful words. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my honor to present you Ned Davis. Ned, welcome to Kingdom Stories from Down Under. You're a true blue Aussie? True blue. Born, Born here? Raised, even in Perth. Well, then you match the Kingdom stories from down under. All right, then. Fully on. <laughs> so you were born in Perth? I was, yeah. Grew and, up here. And then you went to Sydney and then you came back here? I spent 20 years in Sydney, playing at a church in Bondi Beach. Wow. And uh, enjoyed that. And that's how I then got connected with Hillsong, became worship pastor there. Yes. And. Uh, but Perth's home base, and it was nice to come back again. So it all began here in Perth? I grew up in Perth. I grew up mostly uh, on the beach at Triggs. That's where my family lived. And, I uh, love Trigg Beach. It was, a, it was the best childhood. Yeah. Like my did you live nearby? Scarborough? Yeah, did you right live? on the beach. Yeah, like you lived? Madam's Triggs. Trigg oh, Island. wow. Like my, my mum still lives there, 100 metres from the surf. That is beautiful. We love Madam School. I'm up early, you know, surfing before school, surfing after school, snorkeling on the reef. Yeah. I mean, it was just the best. When did you learn to swim? Uh, I was pretty young. Four or five, maybe? Yeah, about that. In in the Swan River to start with, I think. (laughs) And I had some lessons at Madam's Pool. Okay. So the lessons were under the swimming pools, they were at the ocean. Yeah, they did have lessons there. Yeah, I still do, I think, but it's wow. uh, it gets a bit rocky, I think, for little kids now. So, mum and dad, uh, they're Australians or English? My dad came here when he was about two. Okay. Uh, he's Welsh. Welsh. His dad was in the Welsh Revival. Oh. Um, and so, but he had some health problems, so they said, you've got to move to a warm climate. So, my dad came with his dad at the age of two. And uh, brought his Welsh singing voice, I guess. Yes. And uh, But my mum grew up here. She's from Early Settlers, who yep. uh, farmed out of 2J. Okay. And um, so that's where her family comes from. And they met and fell in love and stayed in love their entire life. So it's a pretty great family to grow up in. They both are still with us? No, my father's passed. Okay. Yeah, but uh, my mum's still here. She's in her late 80s, but still full of life, you know. Hallelujah. That's beautiful. And uh, so your dad and mum, they were believers? 
Look, they had faith in God. Okay. Uh, they attended church. Not often. Okay. But they had faith in God. And uh, I didn't really hear the name Jesus. Probably in my teenage years, it was more about psychology and new age philosophy. Yeah. Most of the books in our home, like the Bible certainly was never brought out or talked about, referenced. Sure. It was very much sort of, um, you know, you can do it yourself. You yeah. Do it yourself. All the isms. You know. How many uh, brothers and sisters? I have two brothers. All the uh, younger? My older brother and my younger brother. So you're a middle boy. I'm the one in the middle. My older brother was a rat bag. And uh, he just went totally down the hippie route and all the stuff of the time of the 70s, I guess. And did that influence you? Yes, it did. And I went we twice as fast him? as he did. Oh, you did? Yeah, thinking this is the way to do it. What's the age gap? Just oh, two and a half years, like okay. three years of school. Yes. So I was much younger than him as I got into the same things he was getting into. Yeah. But he was a very good surfer and... I mean, he got the scholarship to the private school and... Um, because of his sport ability? No, mainly because of his academic ability. Okay. But then I got picked as the last few to get the scholarship as well. But because he was such a rat bag, they were never going to give it to me. Oh. Even though I qualified, you know, I was yeah. one of the last few standing for the... Anyway, so I still went to that school. Yeah. But I felt like I had to uphold his reputation. Oh. So as soon as I got to school, I just had a bad attitude and started getting disciplined, you know. This is in high school? High school, yeah. Yeah. So growing up on the beach, good life, really fun. A lot of of surfing. Very, very healthy. Yeah. Lots of bike riding and surfing. And I was very, very fit through my... Teenagers. What school did you go to? Private Scotch school? College. Scotch College. Yeah. Oh, private school. Yeah. So, oh, wow. it's expensive school for my yeah. parents. Um, but I loved that school. Yeah. I should have treated it better. Yeah. And been more appreciative. What's but, one of your best memories from a primary school? Um, oh, I think it was mostly through those years it was the surfing before school and after school and the music because I was very passionate about music is that when you started playing or oh, singing I started much younger so actually my earlier years I'd grown up with uh, in Stuart Hill it was a bit of a really tough area lots of Macedonians Greeks Italians everybody was Wogs. there we called them mogs and they get angry but Everyone was fighting, punching, and then eventually, just as I was moving, yeah. they started pulling knives on each other and Ooh. stealing cars, and it was a good time to get out. Yeah. But I'd learned how to fight, you know, just um. fight on the street. Everybody, had, you had to learn to fight or you wouldn't survive. But in that environment, I still played the piano, and they'd tease me, they'd mock me mercilessly, but I just loved it, and so I. When go, did you start playing the piano? Well, Four, I was a five. Kid. No, no, maybe about eight. Okay. So lessons uh, or lessons? Yeah, yeah, I did all the classical, you know, route all the exams and the. So who valued this in your home? Your dad? Well, my mum. She still plays in a symphony orchestra, so oh. she's a violist. Okay. Um, has been like a first violinist back in her university days. My dad's 
was a singer, so he yes. was a musical. Romance my mum with song. Um, but my mum, yeah, she's maintained a strong musical interest okay. all her life, played in orchestras. So we just grew up with it. So you carried this through your teenage years as well? Yeah, right, right through. Even though it wasn't valued when I was young. Yeah. In teenage years, it becomes a bit more cool to be musical. But at school, I, I mean, I went from piano to taught myself guitar. Yeah. Played cello, played violin, played saxophone, everything I could get my hands on. Yeah. Just because I loved it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when did the rock begin? Rock music. They started in school, yeah, school yeah. bands to start with. So you had bands in, in Scotch? Yeah, and then as soon as I left school, there was um, a lot of opportunity because I was a singer, songwriter. Oh, already played. by then? Yeah. So, um, so you, were you in a band now? At Is that it? stage? Yeah. Once, yeah, yeah. I was playing in different bands, just, um, you know what it's like. Everybody's trying to get a breakthrough. So was it mainly on keyboard and vocal? Or? Mainly keys and vocal. Okay. Um, that's probably my strongest suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I'd break out on a trombone or a violin, but overall, yeah. This way or this way? This way. But that was more like playing in, you know, um, cabaret bands, you know. Oh, I did jazz. Some, I did some cabaret stuff, uh, mainly with horns. Yeah. But no, it was, it was a passion. And so... Um, the thing that cut into that though was the drug use. Okay. Because inevitably that crept into the surfing lifestyle and yes. the music lifestyle. Was it uh, heavy or mainly marijuana and light drugs? I ended up being part of a band with um, some amazing musicians, and I think they every one of them were heroin addicts. Oh. But incredibly gifted. Yeah. Um, they wanted me to use, mm-hmm. but uh, I just. Didn't want to. I'd smoke the stuff, but I wouldn't yeah. inject it. <laughs> but I was stoned a lot. And this, you know, the marijuana took its toll. You yeah. know, it has a different effect on different people. But for me, I got paranoid um, uh, and apathy kicked in. Yeah. It was just hard to go that extra mile, get stuff done. You start to lose your incentive. When you're playing, you think you're. You're, you're Jimi Hendrix and you're, you know, Led Zeppelin and you're creating something. But because you were stoned, you can't remember what you did and you, you can't go back there. So it was terribly, um, it was a disincentive in a lot Were you in a relationship or in relationships with girls? Look, I liked girls a lot, you know, and I'd chase them down. But I wasn't a committed type of guy, you know. Yeah. Um, it was all about... You know, just have fun and play. Yeah. And I so when you finished guy. school, you didn't go to uni or a college or TAFE? Or? No, I put that off because I really wanted to pursue my music. So you started touring? Just just playing around town, you know. With, and what did you do for money? Um, actually, for a short while, I worked in a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, the bank and me didn't really fit. No. Uh, they didn't like your music, did they? Well, they didn't like that I was... It was one of those monotonous types of jobs, you know, <laughs> you're stamping everything, you know, stamping the checks and stuff. And I just wasn't into it, you know. There's nothing creative about that. Yeah. So, you know, and then and then one of my mates from school that we used to use drugs together, he, he came and worked next to me. So, of bank. course, every... Yeah, my mate did. So every lunchtime we were off 
at his place yeah. doing yeah. doing bad things. Wow. So it didn't help our work. And, um, Did you get you know, fired or you left before you got fired? I'm not sure which one came first. <laughs> I was hitting that critical point either way. But no, no, I mean, yeah, it was... Um, I started drinking, te- you know, I had a bottle of tequila under the front seat of my car. I'd drink it before I started work. And afterwards, oh. it was just like, I don't know why I did it. It was yeah. just like, this is what you do when you're a musician and you, you know. You were in your own bubble. You, yeah. You blow your brains on drugs and you, you live so how long. So how long did that last? Look, it lasted a couple of years, really. I went very hard at it. Were you still living at home or you moved out? Uh, no, mostly at home. Um, How did, did your parents take it? Because obviously... They didn't like it. You couldn't hide it, could you? No, I couldn't hide it. Uh, they'd get upset. I and your little brother? What was he doing? Who's that? Your little brother. He was there. I mean, my little brother was... Um, these days you'd say he's very much a nerd, you know. Okay. He just got all ones in his you know, uh, subjects and, you know, like 99.5% or whatever it is you get, you know. He just loved being studious. He just had a love for learning. Mm -hmm. And um, like he has, he still today has like a photographic memory. Just learning things is not even, not even. Effortless. Effortless. He's just wired that way. Yeah. So... I don't think it was super disruptive for him. Although, to be honest, around that time, like my older brother had to get kicked out of home because he was trying to deal drugs from the house. Didn't go over well. No. My parents are really kosher people. Like they're yeah, really yeah. solid. Value driven. Yeah, not alcoholic, don't smoke, don't yeah. see, don't swear, and just good-hearted people. So I don't know how... He and I turned out to be such rapper eggs, but we did, you know. So then my younger brother was all right, but he then he got epilepsy. Oh. And in the middle of all of this, the whole home just seemed like it was in unbelievable turbulence. Mm-hmm. It was really tough. So he would have uh, fits? Oh, he'd have terrible fits. I mean, it was almost, you know, it's awkward to say, but he could pick up these massive logs and hurl them at his friend, you know, like, yeah. seemed like it was almost supernatural, mm-hmm. something really weird. Hey, you know, to be honest, looking back, I think that he opened doors to stuff. Yeah. And I had opened doors to stuff. So yeah. I think in our spiritual. home, generally, spiritual doors had been opened to demonic oppression. Yeah. And I think that's what happened. We got invaded as a family. And so what happened next? Did you find your, did you meet your Wife no, no, what happened was I, um, this is where I started to really crash. Mm-hmm. Um, I was only young, but I ended up, I needed more money to get better gear, you know, like typical musician, <laughs> I want yeah. better gear. So I thought, oh, I've got a mate who worked at Mount Tom Price, and he said, oh, come at the mines. Me. At the mines, yeah. So I thought, well, I'll, come, I'll go up and work, you know. Yeah. So, I went up there in the middle of summer, you know, 50 degrees days, right? Flies everywhere. It was pretty, pretty hot. You know, you think, oh, I'm tough, you know. So we built scaffolding and... But I took a pound of marijuana with me. Wow. And I was 
ostensibly to sell, but I smoked a heck of a lot of it myself. And so that wasn't good for me. Um, I There were no drug tests back then? No, no. <laughs> you <laughs> Just know. your red dog up there. Yeah, no, no. But I, I wasn't using drugs during the day. But okay. of course, no. if you're stoned all night, you're, just, you're still not really on sure. that. We used to have the saying, you know, be alert because alerts live longer, you know. Yeah. But um, because the marijuana really knocked your senses, uh, the ability to be alert. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, I was up there and then I'd been reading some um, strange things like um, I'm okay, uh, Born Free, um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Um and just cycling around some sort of very spiritual stuff. Mm-hmm. Just before I went there, so I, I sort of got connected with this other group of friends. Like one group of my friends were heavy drinkers. Yes. Into the footy and the cricket. Yeah. But always drinking. Mm-hmm. Another group of my friends just wanted to be stoned all day. Yeah. So I just felt like I was a spinning top bouncing from one group to the other. And then I wound up with this other group that were into occult. occult, occult, really occult. So just before I went there, this girl deals me the tarot cards and the card she, is my card, right? Yes. It's the death card. Oh. And she gets scared and she pulls the card back and goes, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. But I'd seen it. Yes. So in my mind, I don't know, you know, I'm as naive as they come. I just think it's all all good, it's all spiritual, it must be good. Yeah. But the amazing thing is, since that, all the music I'm listening to, I start to hear the word death. Uh-huh. I'd never heard that before. Same music, you know, I mean, sure, bands like Grateful Dead and, you know, all, all the bands that were around then, but yes. the word death just kept really seeming to be highlighted every time it had come up in, yeah. as lyrics to the song. It was, and it was haunting me. I think, yeah. why am I hearing death all the time? I don't like this, you know. But yeah. I couldn't turn it off. So then I'm in Mount Tom Price, working, living in the single men's quarters. Um, and some of the other guys came up from that group. They moved into the town prostitute's house. And one night we're sitting there, we're all stoned off our faces. And for some reason, out of my mouth comes the, this, we need to have a seance. And as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I'm thinking, I don't want to have a seance. I'm not interested in that at all. Why did I even say that? Where did you know? it come from? Where did it come from? Yeah, yeah hey, where did it come from? doors I'd been opening I think in my journey you know? yes so it was it was not just me because I know in my own mind I didn't want to do it sure but these other guys were right into it apparently it was something they did all the time anyway so I tried to steer clear of that place because I knew they really jumped on that they said yeah, yeah we're gonna do it anyway I eventually went went to their house and they you know Big, this big, big guy, Ellie, he's almost screaming at me, you've got to do this seance, you know? And I'm saying, no, no, man, I'm not into this, you know, I don't want to do it. He's almost screaming at me, everybody's ganging up on me, you have to do the seance. 
So because I'm a peace child, you know, sort of hippie kind of peace child, marijuana smoker, I go, just be cool, man, you know, we'll do this. So I sit down at the table, they put the um, glass turned upside down on the table and everyone puts, puts their hand on the table. The lady who she's writing to this, she, she goes, oh, we need a picture of Mary, you know. And they couldn't find one. Okay, well, I don't know what Mary's got to do with anything. <laughs> Nevertheless, so we have, all have our hands on the glass and the yeah. glass starts hovering, like literally hovering off the table. Like, you just can't do that. And there's, you know, letters, the letters of the alphabet around a circle. So, so they say, is there anyone here to talk to us? And it just, honestly, that glass just hovers over to Y-E-S. I mean, I watched it move with yes. my hand on it. Yeah. And so then they say, are you going to harm us? And then it goes Y-E-S, you know. So everyone just pulls their hands off the glass, right? Except I'm probably the last one because I'm still half stoned. I'm going, what did they just say, you know? I'm not really tuning in. But this is the thing. You could feel something happen in that room. Like it started to feel bad, Hmm. like bad, like heavy, like sinister, like just, and I ran. I just said, I'm out of here, man. They're yelling at me, come back. They're saying, come back. We'll get someone good next time. I'm going, nah, mate. I don't think there is anyone good out there. You know, I'm gone. And I ran and, um, so then I found my way back to the single men's quarters. Yeah. But that night I'm trying to sleep and it feels like there's a presence in the room trying to push into me, trying to take me over. Like, and I'm terrified. Yeah. I'm fighting in my mind to, to who my dad is, who my mum is, who my yeah. brothers are, my identity because yeah. this other thing that I don't even believe in yeah. is pushing into my mind so fiercely. About two in the morning, I'm so tortured by this yeah. that I just went out into the desert, you know, like it is, it's just desert, there's nothing in this, yeah. you know, how many millions of stars. And I just went, help me, God, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, God. Yeah. I didn't know God. But as I'm, and that's all I could do. But then some sort of calm came on me. Mm-hmm. Peace. Um, yeah, probably like peace. Yeah. I was still tortured, mm-hmm. but I felt like I could survive the night, you know? Yeah. Um, and I got through. Then all these weird things started happening. And, you know, you could say I'd lost my mind, but it was weird. Eric. Every time the word death got mentioned, like the power would shut off. Yep. Didn't matter where I was. Oh, one, I was in the hairdressing salon and that lady who did the occult, does the occult stuff, she was the hairdresser. The word death came on, all the power suddenly went off. In the, in, in, she's looking at me like, in the, what shop. the, in the shop. She's looking at me like, what the heck just happened, you know? Yeah. It happened several other times and I just went, I'm so spooked. Like there's something invisible that doesn't like me. Yeah. And it's really trying to wipe me out. Yeah. And at this point, you got to realize from the time of that seance. Yes. I didn't touch another 
dropped it. Like I wouldn't. I, I was so out. scared. It, it freaked, out, freaked me it. out so much. I still had plenty. Scared the drugs out of you. Scared the drugs out of me. Wished it scared the hell out of me right at that point because I had hell in me. Yeah. But um, I was scared, and so I wouldn't smoke anything. I just, I just knew I need to keep every bit of my mind that I've got because something's happening here that I've got no handle on. You know. Yeah. It haunted me so bad. I just went, I'm getting out of this town. You know, I've got to get out. I tried to hitchhike. No one would pick me up. So in the end, I called my parents. I said, look, you know, can rescue you me. rescue me? You know, can you get me, get me a ticket? Get me an airline ticket. So I get an airline ticket and um, I've got to drive from Mount Tom Price to Parapadu. It's a two hour bus trip yeah. to get to the airport. And I'm standing outside the bus. And yeah, there's some details extreme you know but there is a guy there dressed totally in black and he's just looking at me with these menacing black eyes hmm. and I don't I'm going it seems like this guy knows me somehow why the heck does he keep looking at me like this you know um, but I'm just chain smoking you know, yeah I'm just chain smoking and I'm praying really the only kind of prayer I know is God you gotta help me please help me help me help me you know I'm desperate Anyway, I get on the bus and I go right to the back and I'm sitting up there smoking back in the day when you could. Yeah. And next to me is a guy and I'm giving him my rap. I'm going, mate, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, you know. You know, <laughs> you've got to ride your Beamer across the planet and, you know, it's just get, get that Zen thing happening. And he, he turns to me and he goes, listen, mate. He goes, I don't think that's the truth. He says, to be honest, he says, I'm sitting here chain smoking with you, but he says, living in this town's been bad for me. He goes, but I'm a Christian. He goes, um, you know, I think the Bible's got the answers for you and yeah. you need Jesus. Yeah. Um, the thing was, when I was younger, I had had an encounter with Jesus while surfing at Rottnest, you know? Yeah. That's a whole other story, but I'd lost it. In those years yeah. of drugs, I forgot I'd even known God, you know? Yeah. And he starts telling me that the answers are in the Bible. And I'm, then I could tell him, mate, what's happening to me? Yeah. I'm terrified. Yeah. There's something every time the word death comes around, stuff got, happens. And he just said to me, well, you, you've indulged in cursed practices. He says to me, he says, you've opened the door to the enemy realm. But... You know, you can shut the door. So you can, you could actually understand that now. Oh, I understood it. You were sober enough to, to get it. Oh, I got it, you know. But that guy was a Seventh-day Adventist as well. He just said to me, listen, mate, what you really need is Jesus. Yeah. But I think, he says, if it was up to me, I'd tell you to worship on Saturday and don't eat pork. He goes <laughs> to me. That's you know, right. from that day, I never would eat pizzas because they all had ham in them. Yeah, I, that's what I thought I was getting, you know. Like, yeah. If you have God, you can't eat ham and pineapple pizzas, which were my favourite. So, so I got two different messages there, you know. But yeah. after a while, I got the revelation, you know. I eat ham and pineapple now, but, but look, he said Jesus, and honestly, when we got on the plane, I just said, "Listen, mate, I don't." He even, was with you on the plane because he, well. he, he was coming to fly home. Yes, to his wife, you know. And um, he's an English guy, but lovely guy. And uh, he gave me the message. 
So when I got home, um, no, when I got on the plane, I just looked at my ticket and I said, I don't care what seat I'm on, I'm sitting next to you, man. Yeah. No one's taking that from me. <laughs> so I just sat next to him and just argued anybody else away. I'm staying here. This guy, I've got to stay here. <laughs> He's my salvation. Lifeline. He was my lifeline. Honestly, he was. And I got home and my parents knew I was really, really wrecked. wrecked. Anyway, so what I did was I, I, um, I hibernated for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. I wanted to stop smoking cigarettes. I wasn't going to touch dope again. Um, so I stopped smoking. I, I knew if I see other people smoke, I want to smoke. So at this stage, you were putting it all on, on dope. On, you thought it was because of the drugs. No, I just knew that I couldn't use drugs or I'd be vulnerable to what yeah. was happening. Okay, so you made sense that there was a, a door a spiritual into the spiritual realm, realm, which the drugs just made it easier for you to open. Would give them easier access yeah. to me. Okay. I would lose some of my ability to defend, you know. And after the hibernation? Well, the hibernation was I stopped smoking cigarettes in that time. So you went cold but turkey? I st- yeah, yeah, I, I just went, that's it, I, I, I've got to get clean. And I secretly bought a Bible and started reading it, you know. But I had no clue, right? So yeah. then I thought, well, there's a band that I want to audition for okay. at, at the Albion Hotel, right? They're playing yeah. at night. So I thought, what I'll do is I'll go there, just yeah. listen to the band, the audition's the next day. They need a new front man. Yeah. So that's what I want to do. What I'll do is I'll take the rest of my pound of marijuana, what I've got left, is maybe four or five deals, you know, it's quite, yeah. quite a bit still. It was, you know, it was a big, big, big bag. Big stash. Big stash. I'd smoked a lot and sold some. Nevertheless, I thought, oh, what I'll do is I'll go and I'll bless somebody with, some with their remains <laughs> because I'm not going to smoke it. I'll bless somebody. <laughs> anyway, so I go there and I see this girl that I knew, her brother was a good mate from school. He'd gone to work for um, Rupert Murdoch in New York. He's a journalist. His dad's, you know, Paul Rigby, the cartoonist. Yes. So we're good mates, surfing mates, schoolmates. And this is his sister. Yeah. So I see her there and she's there with a boyfriend. I said, look, you know, I really just want to bless somebody with this marijuana that I've got. Would you, would you like it? And she goes, yeah, you know, that's, that's kind of you. So she, she takes it. They go out, they smoke it. They come back in, I'm listening to the band, and she realizes that I'm going to join this band. Yeah. And she turns to me, she goes, you know what? She says, you're not meant to join this band. She says, you're meant to play God's music. Like, how random is that? I'm in a pub. Yeah. I've just given her and a boyfriend. And she's prophesying. And she's telling me. I'm meant to play God's music. Doesn't know I've bought a Bible. Doesn't yeah. know I've had all this other stuff. Yeah. And I just went, that's a message from God. I yeah. had to be. Yes. So I, um, at that point, I thought, oh, well, I better have got to try and find God then. You know, I'm meant to play God's music. But see, when she said it, I'm thinking, like, that's organ music. Oh, I pipes. have to play, you know, Bach and... You know, which I, I, I'm okay with that, but I really, I, I'm a rock and roller. Yeah. I don't really want to go back to playing the classics, you know. Yes. So, um, but I hit it in my heart, so to yeah. speak. You know, I just thought, well, this is a message, so I'll just see where that leads. 
Well, then I, I had a girl I was very keen on up in Mosman Park, and uh, I went to visit her, and she says, oh, have you heard about Pia? That's the girl from... Yes. Uh, she says, have you heard about Pia? She's become a born-again Christian. I said, what do you mean? Born-again Christian? She goes, I don't know, but that's what she says. Yes. I said, well, I, I saw her not long, only a couple of weeks ago. I said, this is pretty intriguing. I'll have to find her, you know. So yeah. sure enough, she's living down in Frio. And um, I went and saw her and she's radiant. She's like shining, like just beaming, yeah. joyful. Yeah. She goes, I met Jesus, you know. I met Jesus. You know, you need Jesus. You, you can you can be born again. Yeah. And she said, come along. They play rock music and talk about Jesus. Perfect match. Oh, in my mind, I'm going, how do you have Jesus and rock music in the same sentence, let alone in the same room? <laughs> you know, because my idea, rock music's always going to be drugs and yeah. all the other, other spirits. It's like stuff, ham and pineapple on the pizza. How can you have them you both? You just can't do it. <laughs> Not supposed to. They don't belong. But I went because I just had to see what that was. And um, I walked into a, a, a warehouse in Vic Park. Yeah. And what struck me was the joy in the room. Yeah. And it was because the pub was my main point of reference sure. at that stage. And I noticed there were people from every background. Like there were, there were redneck kind of yeah. people. There were old people. Yeah. But they all seemed to like each other. Yeah. I mean, I'm going, this doesn't happen, mate. I mean... Are they all on drugs or something? <laughs> well... They said it was Jesus, you know. Yeah. Later on, I heard that saying, they're high on the most high, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> but, but the thing was, I realized, and I'd always thought this in my mind, you know, if you could find the thing that brings everybody together, doesn't yeah. matter what stream they've come from, yeah, that would prove that that had to be God. Yes. You know, that would be the only thing that you would know was the proof that, because only God could do it. Yeah. And when I saw it and felt that presence, I just went, man, I want what they've got. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the guy said, if you want this, come forward, I ran. I just ran. I ran to the front. I, <laughs> I went straight to the front. And, um, and this guy comes to me, goes, put your hands in the air. Well, I'd never done that before. Well, you know, put my hands in the air. And honestly, it just, that. It was like home, you know. Yeah. The home that had always been there for me. I yeah. just never knew. The love, the father was there. He just took me in, you know. I, I couldn't believe that he'd be so kind. And the piano fell off my back. I couldn't believe. It was just like all this weight just, just gone. Wow. I felt clean. I felt new. I felt home. I felt home. And then he says to me, oh, mate, yeah, then he said, put your hands in the air and ask for the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I said, mate, I, I, I'm feeling pretty good right now. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is. He goes, yeah, you, you need the Holy Spirit. 
just put your hands up and I'll pray for you to get the Holy Spirit. Next thing you know, it's like this river's just flowing through me. Yeah. Um, it's just pouring through me. And I listen, I go, wait a minute, I'm speaking another language. Yeah. I said, mate, I'm speaking another language. He goes goes to me, yeah, that's what's supposed to happen. I didn't even know. Yeah. And um, that was the start of it, you know. That was the start. I had a few struggles after that. Um, But joy filled me, and I knew I'd come home. Um, I still had some dark lingerers, you know. Um. I was still haunted by that death thing. Yeah. And one night I went to a Bible study. Mm-hmm. There was only about five people in that warehouse yeah. in the middle of the week. We're all sitting in those plastic chairs, you know, that everybody has. And someone reads this verse out of Hebrews. I didn't know it was in Hebrews then, yes. but he goes, he came to deliver those who all their lifetime were in bondage to the fear of death. Yeah. Right? That verse something knocked me off my chair. But literally... You fell off. Next thing, I'm sitting on the floor. But the power didn't go off this time. No, no, no. You went off. I went off. (laughs) I'm on the floor and I'm looking at these guys and they didn't even look. Yeah. They're still just reading their Bibles and stuff. And I'm on the floor. I'm going, how did I get here? Anyway, I just sort of, you know, tried to brush myself off and go, whatever that was, sit on my chair. I never feared death again. Yeah. It was completely gone. I never, ever, ever was haunted. Never heard death in songs anymore. Never, just completely... Wiped away. Wiped away. And one other time, some ugly things left. Uh, I went on a road trip. Yeah. And um, I just thought, I want to go on a road trip where it's just me and God. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to talk to him the whole way. Yeah. I just, because I just figured a road trip back in those days, no mobile phones, it's yeah. just, there's no interruption, right? it's just me and the road and him. Yeah. So I just went driving. I just headed south and the whole way I started speaking in tongues. Yeah. And I was speaking, I'm speaking, I'm seeing, I'm seeing. Then all of a sudden I just started crying and crying and crying and crying and coughing and yeah. snot everywhere I had to pull over I couldn't even see I'm on the side of the road somewhere out in the bush yeah. and it's just like every, oh, I can't stop crying and all this stuff's just gone out of me you know and the next thing you know I'm feeling like you know I don't know if you know what that feeling is I'm buzzing I am like I've been washed Washed, washed, so clean, but inside. Yeah, yeah. You know. Detoxed. It's like that. It's like whatever that was, it isn't there anymore. And there's just this incredible shining cleanness inside me. And, you know, I stopped being as haunted in my mind, you know. So when did you start uh, playing music for for God, singing for God? Soon, soon after that. They said they needed a keyboard player. Well, actually, the night that I came to the Lord, I saw a piano on the stage, an acoustic piano. So, so it was this Rima back in the day? No, Rima this was uh, Potter's. Potter's. Back house. in the day. Okay. 
Potter's in Vic Park. That's where he mm. started. It was like Jeff Hop was part of that thing yeah. back then. Okay. It was just right. Is this late eighties? Yeah. Uh, no. Mid eighties. Early. Early eighties. So I um, I jumped on the piano that night and oh. just started playing an improvised song to God. You know. Yeah, yeah. Because I figured, well, I'm going to tell him I'm glad. Yeah. So I just did it. <laughs> People still tell me they were there. You know, they saw it. Yeah, but then soon after they asked me to join the band, I started writing songs and playing, and we started just playing in all the school, high schools, yes. and on the beach, and we'd play on the, you know, in front of the Scarborough Hotel. And yeah, we'd yell out to all the bikers, you know, you need Jesus, he's gonna change your life, and wow, you know, and uh, we just went everywhere. We saw th- literally probably thousands of decisions for Christ. When did you go to Sydney? I went to Sydney. Well, before I went to Sydney, I got asked to travel as evangelist. Yes. I just started seeing people get healed. Yeah. Um, yeah. At first, at first I tried too hard. Um, and and one, one morning, this is my first church, I went to Albany. Yeah. So... Um, there's a lot of a lot of story to tell here, but I went there and I was working in a fish factory, you know, five bucks an hour, getting sworn out all day, and it wasn't much fun. But I was earnest for God, you know. So I I used to fast three days every week, yeah, because I just wanted to see a breakthrough. Yeah. Anyway, I wasn't getting anywhere, you know. Just the whole town wasn't getting saved, and I thought they should be. So so I um so what I did was I went on this one more fast. I just went that that's it. I'm gonna do a fast. Yeah. And I'm just going to ask God, what does he want to tell me? Yeah. Instead of what do I want him to do for me? Yeah. What does he want to say? So I yeah. did. And on the third morning, um, he just said to me, uh, he who ceases from his own works enters my rest. Yeah. I didn't even know where that was in the Bible, but I knew it had to be Bible because I knew he'd said it to me. Yeah. And so I did find it in, in Hebrews chapter 4, but... You know, when God says something to you, it rolls, like it unfolds, and yeah. it just kept rolling yeah. in yeah. my spirit and kept clearer and clearer and clearer. And I just went, oh my goodness, if I just follow his lead, I'll see what he's wanted to do all along. He doesn't need me to initiate all of this. Yeah. And so I just started to listen. And that's where, like, incredible things started happening. There's, there was a child in our church. The parents had said that he, the child had a terminal illness. Mm-hmm. And when I prayed for the child, something happened. And they said, oh, funny thing. It, it, like, he's, you know, 10 or 12, like somewhere around there. He said, you know, it started to come out of me when you prayed. Wow. Oh, the, boy, it, the boy said the that. Bo- the boy? I go, what do you mean it started to come out? He says, oh, I don't know. It just started to, I could feel it. Yeah. So I said, well, let's it's just get it out then. Yeah. And we did. And he, he went back for all the tests. Nothing, you know, yeah. completely, completely healed. So that kicked it off. People started to hear of what was happening. Yes. You know, this little, little church meeting in the old motorbike workshop down there in Albany. And they started to ask me to come. And so I ended up traveling the world for five years. Oh, wow. Just because Praying God was doing stuff. Worshipping and singing oh, and so yeah, they, preaching as well. Yeah. All of it. I mean, I, I was amazed. One one man show, basically. Because everything. they'd get me to the town and they say, "Now you're singing on the street here, or in this, you know, um, 
you know, uh, town square. Or I would do everything. I'd just sing my songs and then we'd invite people to know the Lord. Then we'd start praying for them. We'd just yeah. get everything. That was, it was pretty awesome. And, uh, and in the end, we had three kids. So it was a bit hard to keep traveling with three. So, so where did you meet your wife? In church. In church, yeah. in your church, her policy. Yeah, she was a hard case girl. She came out of a feminist, you know, uni okay. train background. She vowed she'd never get married. Um, Until she met you. Well, she had to meet Jesus first or that never would have worked. <laughs> it would have never happened. Eh? It wouldn't have happened. Anyway, three kids later, God really spoke to me about going, we were going to go to Russia. So I went on an impact team to Russia. Yeah. Um, I really wanted to go Moscow, or to pastor to pioneer a new church in Moscow. No, probably St. Petersburg. I had a friend already in Moscow at the time. Yeah, he'd gone to plant there. You might okay. know Rod McNeil. He's yes. So he he went to Moscow. Okay. And I'd followed him to Albany. He yeah. started Albany. Yeah. I followed up, and then we were going to go to Moscow uh, to St. Petersburg, and the church was going to send us. And then one morning in prayer, the Lord just says to me, I don't want you to go. We, we were all ready. Yeah. He said to me, I want you to go to Sydney. I'm like, man, that, that's a big, big difference, you know, from Russia. Look, the main thing with Russia, I went there, I didn't get a sense of call, yes. but I just saw the need. Yeah. So I wanted to go on that basis. Yeah. But when he said Sydney, I went, okay, well then you've got to confirm this. And the next day, my pastor, who was sending us to Russia, uh, he called and said, look, I, I want to meet with you. When I met him, he said, look, we really feel like you're meant to go to Sydney. I hadn't talked to anybody but my wife. And we, yeah. we prayed. So off we went to Sydney, started a church in Bondi. And um, that was awesome. Surfers. Surfers. But what's amazing, a, a number of Bondi rescue lifeguards got saved. That's we great. started in the Bondi Rescue yeah, movie, it, the show. Well, before the movie started, yeah. but those guys that were part of that team came because we started in the life-saving hall. Club. That's where the yeah. church started. Right there. That's where we started. We met right on the beach. Nice. And um, what was amazing, models started getting saved. Like, yes. you know, Miss Australia, Miss Sweden got saved and all these different girls came not wearing a lot of clothes to start with. And I, I remember when uh, the girl, Miss Sweden, came, she's standing near the front and I could see all the guys were just like looking like this. <laughs> you know, at the ceiling, I'm going, what's wrong with these guys? Until she turned around, I realized that, um, you know, she, she was dressed for up. the beach. But she, she came to the Lord and, and uh, came better clothed the week after, you know, but people it was quite amazing the people that got saved really very eclectic group very very eclectic um, Bondi is an amazing place like that mm. um, I thought we'd see more Jews come to Christ because it's a Jewish stronghold right? yeah, yeah. but uh, we did reach out to them how did you end up in Hillsong? Um, I had to leave the movement that I was with Okay, uh, it got tighter and tighter and more and more Controlling. Controlling. Yeah. And it came to a well, crisis. You were operating a lot in the prophetic as well, was, or just yeah. in the healing? In the, yeah, very prophetic as well. Okay. I mean, classic. This one girl is in the church. She she comes in. I've never seen her before. Yeah. 
and her friend who's an American model brought her and a very beautiful girl and I just looked at her and I just God said to me tell her that I know what I've put inside of her and she needs to protect it and she burst into tears you know yeah she gave her life to Christ yeah and afterwards I hear she's just got pregnant she's been offered a role with one of the big TV networks yes and they've said if she'll terminate terminate the child for the job yeah and that was the turning point of her whole life and she's continued to serve the Lord you see her even sometimes not too long ago on TV ads wow you know it was a radical transformation for her she'd been Miss Australia I think beautiful Uh, so that was just the sort of thing that was happening just really supernatural and I the crisis was I either keep following what God is saying to me and follow him yes or I have to follow the demands of the movement Mm. and so it was man or God really yes and it was only that that would make me break that loyalty because I love the people I really didn't want to have to separate from those people yeah Um, I loved them you know I'd done 16 years journey with them yeah, you know, helping plant churches around the yeah. world and and visiting them, of course. Uh, but so out of that, I left the movement, and I needed someone to connect with. You know, yeah. Uh, so uh, Robert Ferguson is one of the guys from Hillsong. Uh, yeah. Invited me to come, and they prayed for me. I had an encounter with God, and out of that, started working, connecting with them. And then Frank Houston, yes, uh, invited me to come and be his worship pastor. Okay. Which I'd never been a worship pastor. I'd always been a rock musician, you know, yeah. even as a Christian. Yeah. It was always get the message out, you know. Yeah. Not so much. I always worship God. Yes. But usually on a beach, you know, like under the stars at night. I'd yeah. just worship Him because I want to be with Him. I'd never thought of using music to worship God. Yes. You know, music was to reach the lost. So that was a big shift for me. Hmm. And actually, there was a time when Ron Canoli prayed for me. Yes. Just before this. And that's when the shifts happened for me from a, a musical evangelist to a musical worshiper. Yeah. He prayed for me and God said to me, um, you'll see revival. Yeah. And you'll be worshiping me. That's what he yeah. said to me. So I thought, oh man, I, I gotta sh- I'm shifting gears here. Yeah. And that's what happened. I ended up. All those fasting days down in Albany were paying dividends now. The revival I don't was know. If it was, if I could connect all those dots back there, because it was, it felt like desperate times back there. You know, yeah. it's hard getting sworn at all day while you work for five bucks an hour. You know, shoveling fish all day and then pastoring a church, and at the same time, yeah, I, I felt like. Man, this is this is really hard. Yeah. But um, no, God has been incredibly kind. And you wrote, you had some powerful songs uh, that were a hit as well and touched many souls. Yeah, yeah. Um, awesome in this place would probably have been the yeah. biggest one that people would know me for. God is song. awesome in this place. I like that. Just. You want God to be awesome when you, when you're there too, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Ned, what would you like people to remember you by? What's the legacy you'd like to leave? At the end of my days. Yeah. A long time from now, you know, fifty, sixty years from now. You know, it's a pretty awesome question. 
I feel like I want the whole world to know his love. His love, his love caught me when I was going down fast. His love has preserved me. His love has, you know, and I just see all the, da- I know the damage I carried. That yeah. He's healed through his love. I, I feel like the world all around us, there's so much damage in people's yeah. hearts that only the love of God can repair. Yeah. And truth, but love, you know. Uh, if somehow I can leave people with a sense of knowing this guy knew God's love and shared it with us, that would be the ultimate. Yeah. You know, that'd be the dream. That would be us. That'd be the dream. Well, you were touched by God's love and uh, you are who you are today because of God's love. I believe If you can infect people with the same love, to love the Father, that's a beautiful legacy. Yeah. yeah. I like that quote by his love. I think that's beautiful. Cool. Well, thank Ned, you. thank you so much for being so open and vulnerable with us and just allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you. You're uh, very kind. I look forward to seeing more and more of you in various circles where the Lord leads you. Yeah. And I think there's some beautiful chapters yet to be written in your story as well you're kind Nathan Nathaniel you know I've been through some pretty tough times of recent as well and they uh, they throw me on him but they also encourage me about our camaraderie in Christ yeah that we truly are brothers yeah that we need each other oh yeah I don't have what you have yeah. um, I have something to bring to the table sure but the sense that we all have something part to play and we need each other yeah uh, that's become very clear to me the longer I've gone yeah I'm grateful for the gifts I have yeah but uh, I'm lost if I don't have my brothers yeah. yeah that's beautiful I think as we go through life I think we shift from that um, that sort of ego driven world into a more meaning driven world mm. where we see people for what they are more mm. and more mm. As you said before, we used to see faces, but now we see people. We see hearts. We see sons and daughters of the living God. See, that's rich. How do, how long do you think you've got to do the journey till that happens? Yeah. Well, it can be 10 years. It can be 15 years. Mm. It can be 40 years. It can be 20 years. Depends. Yeah. It, yeah. That's been a big shift in me. Mm. Um, just over a year ago, I, was, I asked the Lord before the end of the year, you know, what are you saying to me about the coming year? And he just said to me, be a father. Yeah. And I was terribly surprised, you know, because I'm yeah. a dad, you know, three sons, and I love being a dad. I've always loved being a dad. Yeah. Um, but I knew this was something else, yeah. like a calling to be a father. Oh, man, this is a whole other kettle of fish. Then, right That's after a responsibility. That, yeah, but right after that, um, my friend who's a former detective, you may know him, Chris Bound, he, uh, he asked me to work with him yeah. um, as a team thing. Helping guys come out of jail. Yeah, transition. Uh, yeah, to get their lives back. back or to lives that they've never had. Yeah. And then you find out that the biggest common denominator, fatherlessness. Yeah. 95% of people incarcerated, yeah. men and women, yeah. no, no father. Yeah. And you go, wow, you know, if us guys who have perhaps been around a bit longer, yeah catch that sense of what you're saying there really yeah. see the people 
be a father figure. Not we'll never be the father. Obviously, no. we have the father, but um, there's such a need for men who will really stand strong, trustworthy, yeah. and caring, kind yeah. uh, in the world of people who are damaged. You know, oh, way, yeah. Well, we know Australia is the most, probably the most fatherless nation. Is that true? Yeah. My goodness. It's a sad truth. Yeah. Well, we've got work to do, Ned. I think one life at a time, bit yeah. by bit, yeah. we do our part in this patch of history. Yeah. And we leave this place in a better shape than it was before. That's been the dream. And those people that encounter you, you know, if they get a glimpse, a drop of the love of the Father, I think you've done your job, mate. Thank you. So I thank the Lord for people like you. God bless you, my friend. Well, friends, uh, what a tremendous story. What an, uh, a story of victory, of triumph against all odds. Only God can do this. So I'm not sure what, what your challenges are, and I, I'm not aware of the challenges that you're facing. You probably gave up, or don't. God does turn voice, uh, people around and lives around. Maybe you've given up on some people that are close to you. Once again, don't give up, never give up. There's opportunity, there's chances. God will make ways. So just trust in Him. And let love of the Father be real for you as well. This is Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Thank you for watching us. And if you love this content, please share it with other people. Give us five stars. We love them. And help us go wide with this content. Because a lot of people need to hear it. The Lord bless you. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate, and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.